Hey, I feel like every week for the last few weeks, uh, I've been coming up with something pressing uh, in our community, in our life. Uh, and week after week, my heart breaks for what's happening in this world. And so I also wanted to take some time to pray as a community, knowing that God hears us. That God knows when we are sad, that God knows when we are broken, when we are angry. Uh, and as of, like, like right now, as we speak, there's people in our country, uh, in Florida, who are going through a massive hurricane. Uh, and I've actually, I have some friends there that I've been t- keeping in touch with, and they're okay. But, uh, man, it, there's so much happening. Not only the hurricane there, but the flooding that's still happening in Houston, uh, the Caribbeans, uh, not even in just in the United States, there's stuff going on uh, in Bangladesh, in India, in Nepal. I have to write this down because there's so much going on in our world. Uh, and all of that, there was an earthquake in Mexico. Uh, and even here in the Pacific Northwest, there's fires everywhere. Uh, and I don't know what that means, but what I do know what it means is that us as followers of Jesus, those that have a place of hope, Uh, that have a place of community, that our responsibility is not to just sit back, but to actually move. Like Amy is a wonderful example of what it looks like to be hands and feet of what God calls us to do. Uh, And so we also recognize that when we pray, praying is not passive. See, oftentimes when we think of prayer, we think of it as an obligation, something that we do before we go to bed at night, before we eat, or whatever it is, and those are all good and great. But prayer is powerful, especially when people gather together. It says when two or three are are gathered, their God is in the midst of us. Uh, And so I I know that we just pray, but I I, want to pray again. Uh, specifically for the people uh, in Florida right now, all the things that are happening in this world, knowing. But here's what I want you to do. As I pray, uh, I want you to hear the words, and I want you to agree with me, or at least want to have the faith to know that God can do something, and that God will do something, that God is doing something. And, And so that's what it means when we together as a church, we pray together. And so let's bow our heads one more time. Let me just pray again as we, as our heart weeps for our nation. God, right now in the midst of us meeting here in the comforts of of these pews, God, and I have to confess, I woke up to you complaining about how cold it was outside. God, in this time, there's people right now in in, in Florida who are going through a, a hurricane, one of the biggest, if not the biggest in that area. Lives are being destroyed, homes, families. And the question is, where are you in this? And God, right now, uh, there's so many different ways to answer that. But what we do know is this, that you still love us and that you do not leave us alone. God, as people repair their lives and, and overcome this rumble from the earthquake in Mexico, God, would you be a sense of peace and comfort there? The flooding from the monsoons in India, Bangladesh, Nepal, and those surrounding areas, as they rebuild with lack of resources. God, would you bring people that, that can help, that can provide? As there's fires all around our region, God, would you bring rain? Would you uh, give sustenance and, and perseverance to the firefighters and, and all those that are working around the clock to help salvage a beautiful place we live? 
God, you are the God of hope. And in the times of hopelessness, we're so confident in the hope that we have in you. When there's nothing else, we cling to your love. In desperation, in our longing, God, you were the one that provides joy and a peace that transcends all understanding. And so, God, help us as brothers and sisters of, of those around. Help us to be joyful when they're joyful. Help us to weep when they weep. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we start a brand new series. It's a four-week series, and it's going to be an interesting one where it's for four weeks. We're going to talk about, uh, in really all six locations, if you're new to Bethany, uh, there's six different locations all throughout Seattle. Uh, and the beauty of that is we're part of a network, that, but also we speak on the same things, similar things at the very least, same text, same vision. Uh, and we're aligned to that bigger uh, community of teaching and lessons. And so for the next four weeks, all six locations, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of this man named Jesus. Uh, and not only that, it gives us kind of a sneak peek into the values of Bethany Community Church, all six locations. What do we value? What do we believe uh, is important as followers of Jesus? And so for the next four weeks, we'll talk about these pillars that we really base ourselves philosophically, is that we find it very important that disciples, those that consider themselves followers of Jesus, we find it important that they gather, and that's what we're going to start talking about today. What, did, what does it look like to be part of a church? Why come here on a Sunday morning when there's so many other things to do? Uh, we grow. We don't, just, uh, we don't just gather for the sake of gathering. We develop community. We learn. We, we get revelation from God. Uh, so we gather and then we grow. It's important that we grow and understand our faith. So we gather, we grow, and then we, what we call go. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of cheesy, but it's a way that we can remember. Gather, grow, and, and then we go. We don't just stay in the confines of these four walls, but we listen to a message from God calling us to do something. And we go outside of these walls to be the loving presence of God. So we gather, we grow, we go and we give, we become generous, we become good stewards of who we are and what we've been given and the blessings and the provisions. But today we're going to focus on the gather. Why, why do we do this? I mean, even just last night, uh, I saw the greatest football game that I've seen in a long time, right? A triple overtime, and the Cougs come out with the victory. Any Coug fans here? Yes. What? What? Don't be shy. I'm there with you. One of the greatest games I've seen in a long time. And I remember thinking it's midnight. I need to go to bed because I'm preaching and I got to go to church. And if I wasn't working here, I would probably say, you know what, I can stay up. And I'll probably just sleep in. And maybe I'll go the following week or the next week or the following week after that. 
But there's an understanding that there's a reason and a purpose why church is gathering exists. And one thing that I want to demythify is that it's not just something we do because it's some law that's in the Bible that says, all right, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to go to church every Sunday. That's a child, that, that actually reflects my childhood. I remember hating going to church in the morning. And, and, and I would ask my mom, why do we have to go to church? The first reason, because I said so. Okay, that always works. Uh, and second, because God said so. And, and I started to re- resent not only my mom and my dad for making me wake up in the morning on Sunday to go to this boring church, uh, but then like, God, that, that's what you have for me? This is what it looks like to, to be a Christian? I have to follow these rules and, and, and go to this place on Sunday morning that I hate going to. But what I want to talk about is, well, why it matters And just like anything in life, it's not just about the what. What do disciples do is the name of this uh, this series. It's not just the why, but we're going to, not just the what, but we're going to talk about the why. And and I truly believe that when we understand the why of what we do, that changes everything. So why is it important that we gather as a community? I mean, we see gatherings all the time whether you know it or not. You're part of gatherings. You're, you're a part of services, whether it's church service or not. A couple weeks ago, I went to a Sounders game. Anyone been to a Sounders game before? Okay, a lot of sound, like it's really cool to be a Sounders fan in, in Seattle, I've noticed. And I've never been a huge fan of soccer. I've never followed it. I've never played it. I've never been good at it. But a couple weeks ago, a buddy of mine who had season tickets invited me to the, the Seattle-Portland game. And I thought, well, Seattle and Portland are pretty close together. That must be a rivalry, right? And so I'm going to say yes, I'm going to go. Now, I know nothing about soccer. I know nothing about the Sounders. I've been to one Sounders game uh, several years ago. And when I went this time, I was just reminded of, A, how enthusiastic these Sounders fans are. I mean, they they go crazy. And, And second, how strange the entire experience is. Now, I don't know if you know this, but as we were going into the stadium, we saw a huge, like, parade chanting all these chants and fight songs, and they all memorized it. They didn't have paper. There wasn't a big screen. They all knew what they were saying. They were jumping up and down, and it's called something like March of, I had to write it down because I have no clue, Uh, March to the Match, all right? There's a March to the Match, uh, and I thought it was just the strangest things. And, and not only that, it was about 80 degrees outside, probably close to 90 degrees. So naturally, I, everyone was wearing shorts, T-shirts, sunglasses, flip-flops. And, and majority of the people wore scarves. Like, for some reason, it's a thing for soccer fans, and maybe it's just a sounder thing, that no matter how hot it is outside, you're going to wear a scarf. To me, that was really strange. And not only that, when I got into the stadium, uh, there were fight songs and chants that everybody knew. And then one side of the stadium would yell one thing, and the other side of the stadium would yell another. And I was, looking, and I was just really, really confused. And at the beginning of the game, uh, or the match, I, I don't even know what it's called, uh, the announcer would say the first name of the athlete, and then the crowd would yell, the last name of the athlete. And I kid you not, the whole stadium knew the names. It wasn't even on the screen. And so when they were like, I don't even, Joe, you know, and I was like, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. 
I was like, yeah. And, and then I tapped my friend on the shoulder and I said, when, when do we sit down, you know? Because we were sitting in the front. Like, are we good? Like, we did our rah-rah thing. We're going to sit down and enjoy the game, uh, the match. Uh, and he says, we, we don't sit down. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, you, you don't, like, we, no, we stand. Like, the whole game? Yeah. And so here I was, I'm standing the entire time uh, watching this game that I don't know much about, but I'm having a fantastic time. There was this really drunk dude next to me who was, inc- who was awesome. Uh, and I mean, he really was. Uh, and when something happened, like when there was a goal or something good happened, he would tap me on my shoulder and he would give me a high five. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but all right, buddy. Like, I feel like I just made a best friend. And and then on the other side of that, when the ref, apparently the ref was really bad. I can't tell in soccer. Like, when you fall down, I feel like everyone falls down all the time. And so I couldn't really tell, but apparently the ref was really bad. And he would tap me on my shoulder again. And he would just boop, and he would swear, and he would look at me and boo. And I was like, yeah, boo. Like, I felt like I had to join him. Now, I had no idea what was going on, but I felt like there was this camaraderie of craziness, of madness, of the good times, of the bad times. I had no idea what was going on, but I was there. And it was an incredible experience. And the, and the best part was when we left, the, the Sounders didn't win. I mean, they, they actually tied, which they still, I don't know how it works, but they didn't win is the point. Uh, they tied, which didn't, I don't know, soccer's weird. And everyone was really happy. Like, they were, they were really joyful. And they were, oh, man, we're still in first place. We're still going to win. We're still going to do well. There was something about this ethos, this environment, after, that, after we left, no matter what the outcome was, that there was still this element of solidarity, of community, of joy, of hope with one another. And, and I left thinking, man, this This is amazing. And this is just a small glimpse what I believe the church is actually all about. See, oftentimes people come to church and think it's weird because we sing these songs and and we raise our hands and we listen to somebody speak and we pray, you know, we talk, we hold our hands, we do all these quote-unquote weird things. Have you been to a Seahawks game? Have you been to a Sounders game? I mean, you want to talk about weird. I mean, there's people at this, I mean, I went to the Seahawks game. They have their shirts off. They paint their bodies. I mean, they, I mean, these are grown men and grown women that do this. And I'm like, yes, it could be weird. Yes, it's seen as weird, but it's something that we do that we believe changes our lives and creates community and brings us closer to our creator as God's creation. And that changes our lives. That changes the way we view others. That changes the way we view God. See, there was a band of people at that Sounders game, 50,000 of them. And it was an eclectic crowd. I saw hipsters to parents to grandparents to you know, non-hipsters, I don't know who they are, (laughs) centered and celebrating the central figure, which are the sounders, even chanting and singing with one another. There was a strong sense of togetherness 
after we left together when we're high-fiving, which I don't know what we're high-fiving about, but there was that sense of togetherness that it didn't matter whether you knew what was happening or not. You were part of a celebration. You were part of a mess, too. And there was a strong sense of hope after the game was over. And so I look at these elements and I say, you know, that's very similar to why the church gathers, why it's important that we have a rhythm of meeting together as followers of Christ. And so the first is we gather to encounter. In Hebrews chapter 10, which, are, which I'll get a lot of our text from, it says this. It says, let us approach with the true heart a full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and from our bodies washed with pure water. And verse 23 says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us cling, let us hold fast to what we believe to be true about our God without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. For he who has promised is faithful. See, in verse 19, he's talking about the sanctuary, the way we do church, the synagogue during that time, the temple during that time. And he says that as you go in, cling tight to the expectation of what we have our faith in, and that's the blood, the body, the resurrection, the life, and the teaching of Jesus and what that means to our lives. What that means for us is that when we gather on a Sunday, it's a unique and sacred moment where we truly believe that God is up to something. Now, I said this last week, I try to say this week in, week out, that I don't want you to come to church just because it's something you do on Sunday. As a matter of fact, that's going to be more detrimental. You're going to end up, you know, regretting. You're going to end up resenting. You're going to, you're going to just be bitter. You're going to be upset. And you're not going to understand and experience the fullness of what God has for us. Instead, what I want us to do, whether even that day we believe this or not or have faith in this or not, we want to say, you know what, God can do something. And we all have different experiences, and we all bring different types of baggage into this sanctuary. And Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews says, he says this. He says, he says uh, let us cling tight without wavering. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. That when we gather, something happens. That you're not just here to listen, to hear from, from me. I, I hope that's not it. I hope that you understand that there's, there's this element of calling, that I do believe that God's called me to be a catalyst of God's message. And so when you show up, you say, I don't want to hear from Prentice. I want to hear from God. And, and even my prayer every morning, uh, especially on a Sunday when I'm preaching, I say, God, put me out of the way. I do not want people to hear from me. I want your Holy Spirit to flow through and in me that we may hear from one another. That sometimes, you know, when I preach, it, a lot of things are on the top of my head, like it's not even planned. Oftentimes, I don't even look at my notes sometimes, which I should, because I believe that God is speaking in and through me. And we speak through one another, that we learn from one another. And we don't sing, you don't, you don't listen, you don't come here just to listen to me. You don't sing because you love karaoke. I mean, karaoke is like awesome and fun, but we, we are here and we sing because it's a way that we express our love, our adoration, and our celebration to who we believe God is. See, God created us and wired us in very intricate and creative ways. 
that oftentimes when it comes to music and song, it reaches our soul that words that we derive ourselves does not do justice. And so when we sing these songs, when we read words off the board, when we do liturgy, liturgy in Latin just means the work of the people. When we engage and read off the board, when we sing these songs, we sit back and say, oh, that was, wow, I said that? I just, that's beautiful. It's ways that we can articulate our love for God and our understanding of God in words that we would never be able to articulate ourselves. And so there's different ways that we worship and way we gather, but it's important because we know that it's not just listening, it's not just singing, it's not just having coffee with one another, that something special and unique and sacred happens when we gather. And all of that is what we call worship. We worship. And worship is a key. Worship is a key that unlocks a door to our souls to meet with the creator. Worship is a key that unlocks a door to meet with our creator. There's a story in the book of Joshua where the Israelites finally enter into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, God promised Abraham, says, you know what, your people, it says in Joshua chapter 6, throughout the Pentateuch, you are going to go from slavery in Egypt to Canaan, the land of milk and honey, the promised land. But it took them 40 years of wandering to get there. And once they got to Canaan, the land filled with milk and honey, there there was one last obstacle. The obstacle was to get through the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho uh, was a fortified city, and it had walls. And archaeologists believe these walls could have been up to 34 feet, 35, 36 feet high. And oftentimes, if an enemy wanted to, in ancient warfare, if an enemy wanted to invade and breach these walls that their opponents were inside of, it would take weeks and months to chip away at that wall to finally invade if they could. Because oftentimes, they would be destroyed because they're sitting there being vulnerable outside the walls. But if they were to get in, it would take them weeks and weeks and months and months. But then in Joshua chapter 6, God had a different plan. God says, okay, I promised this land to you, your land, this holy land. This is yours, but you have to get through Jericho. How are you going to do this? And and I can imagine all of God's people saying, you know, it's going to take months. It's going to take years. We are going to get killed in the midst of that. How should we go about this, God? And God says, I have a plan for you. You know what the plan is? You're going to march around those walls. And I can imagine God's people saying, "You you want us to do what? And God's saying, six times I want you to march around these walls silently. And then on the seventh day, you're going to shout. And you're going to, it says you're going to blow your trumpets and horns on that seventh day. And then on that seventh day, the walls of Jericho will come crashing down. And out of faith, even though in their eyes and in their brains and what they understood about ancient warfare was, no, it takes months and years of getting through this this fortified city, and yet, God, you want me to go around these walls seven times, and all of a sudden, this will go down? Now, I don't know how, what they were thinking when they responded, but they did it. And so they went around, they blew trumpets, and lo and behold, 
they were able to fortify, they were able to take over that fortified city of Jericho. And they were able to get to the land that God promised them. See, we see that these walls were broken down. They crumbled. And God's people entered into that land that was promised to their forefathers, Abraham, 500 years ago. And what was the main tool? It was actually worship. See, when it says they used trumpets in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew culture, when they talk about trumpets, trumpet was about celebration, was about worshiping one another, with, with one another. So it wasn't with weapons. It wasn't with violence. It, wasn't, it, it was by worshiping that the walls came crumbling down. As we sing, as we pray, as we gather on a Sunday, when we receive the revelation through the Holy Spirit, we celebrate the work of Christ, his death, his resurrection. We connect with one another. And that alone, in a mysterious way, has the power to break down walls and barriers in our lives. This has happened to me over and over and over again. You know, sometimes I'll get to church, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'll have a bad attitude. I'm like, why am I here? Well, I have to be here. Oh, man, I'm tired. Or nothing's going right. Or everything that can go wrong is going wrong. And then I'll just sit there kind of at my spot, looking around. No one wants to ever sit next to me. <laughs> sitting by myself. Like, man, all right, let's just get through this. And then the worship band starts to play. And I start to hear people sing behind me. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what the magic formula is, but something stirs in my heart where I'm like, oh, I can feel the presence of God. I'm in the midst of community that is worshiping alongside with me, and I'm worshiping alongside them. All of a sudden, my bitterness or my anger or, or my, you know, whatever it is, it goes away. And something so sacred happens, walls are, breaking, are being broken down because of the trumpets, because of the worship, because we gather here together. And something mysterious, it's something that I can't explain, something that transcends all understanding happens. And I hear that a lot from other people. Prentice, I almost missed church today. I'm so glad I didn't. Because, and then they'll say, here's what happened. Or I almost didn't show up. Or, or I didn't want to come. And then this is what happened. Or they would say, Prentice, I love that part in the sermon where you talked about this. And I'm like, I brought that up for like two seconds. And that had nothing to do with what I actually wanted to talk about. I mean, it happens a lot where I'm like, people are like, oh man, I feel like God was speaking through you about how I should, you know, treat my friend. I'm like, this sermon was like about church. Like, you know, like it had nothing to do with that. And yet there's a little, that God brings you here to hear what you need to hear, even if that's not something that I'm trying to say. That something happens when we gather together. Walls come crashing down. And the beautiful part is it's an invitation for everybody. Everybody is invited to experience the walls of their life, of their anger, of their bitterness, of their loneliness, of their anxiety to come crashing down to meet with their creator in the community of worship. Everybody is invited. And if you've ever been hurt by the church, 
I know I have. I am so sorry. If you've ever been mistreated by Christians, I am so sorry. If you've ever been attacked, if you've ever been judged, I am so sorry. That is not a reflection of the love of Christ that we are called to have with one another and to you. You are invited, just as you are, to come and worship and to receive. So growing up, we all memorized this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then all of a sudden, people have taken that as kind of a mantra, where even I see football games where they say, yeah, I saw Russell 316, Russell, Russell Wilson, uh, who I love, by the way, and who's, who we're going to win today, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> God, please forgive her. <laughs> I'm just I'm excited for the I'm excited for the game. But that was a very provocative statement during that time. For God so loved the world, and the Greek says cosmos. The, for God so loved everybody. This was during a time when religion was very uh, isolated, was very exclusive. You had to look this way. You had to belong to this tribe. You had to speak this language. You had to be in this way to belong to the family of God. And Jesus breaks down that barrier and says, for God so loved the world. Well, wait a minute. Even the person from that side of the world? And even people that act like that, and even people that dress like that, even people that eat that kind of food, yes, 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 and yes. That, are the peop- those are the people that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected for. But oftentimes, our church, the church, the capital C, not just West Seattle, the church, we act as a country club. We're so exclusive. We acted like a country club when in reality God said the church is like a hospital. It's not like a country club, it's like a hospital. In Luke chapter 5 it says, But the Pharisees and the teacher of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been sick. Physically, yes. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I think that's what it means to, to be a human sometimes. And the church is for you and it's for me. Have you ever been depressed? Here is where you find joy. Have you ever been lonely? Here is where you find community? Have you ever felt lost? Here's where you find purpose and identity. Have you ever felt sick? Here's where you find healing. Have you ever felt angry? Here's where you find forgiveness for others and for yourself and with God. That's the church. That's why we gather. So I, want us to do, I, want us, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes just for a second. And it's going to be weird because it's really quiet, but I want you to take a deep breath for me. In a count of three, we're going to inhale and exhale. One, two, three. I want you to open your eyes. To me, that's, an, that's a reflection of the church. 
the rhythm of us gathering, in the chaos of life, in the confusion, in the, in the misunderstandings and the arguments and the troubles at work, the troubles with family, and the troubles with friendships, when we don't know why things are happening in the world, in Florida, in Houston, in India, in the Northwest, we come here and we just breathe. We take a deep breath. Not that everything changes, not that anything changes, but for, for one moment, this is a glimpse of heaven. People gathered. People celebrate. Not just celebrate, we mourn, we, we lament. We're angry together. It's that place of breath. We gather to find life, to be connected with our creator. And if church isn't that, then we're doing something wrong. If church doesn't bring you breath and it brings you strangulation, something is wrong. Next, we gather, and I'm going to wrap this up shortly, we gather to encourage one another. In verse 24, it says, and let us, Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but this is the important part, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we gather not only to receive the sacred, this mysterious blessing of God, but also to give of who we are. We have something to offer. You have something to offer this body, this congregation, this church. And if you don't show up, we're missing something. It's like in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, the, body, the church is like a body, Christ is like the head, but you, with whatever gifts you have and how you were created, you're like the arm, you're like the leg, you're like the you know, shoulder, whatever it is. Just like a healthy functioning body, we need every piece of it. You know, just the other day, I was having a conversation with someone from the band, Chris. We have our monthly, uh, like, bro dates, bro coffee. Uh, and it's not funny, so why would you laugh at that, right? And I remember we were having this conversation, and, and I'm just starting to look for a place to live, like a, like a place to buy a home or a condo. And I was kind of telling this frustration. It's like, man, it's a, it's a hard market. And, and he was reminding me. He was saying, okay, like, wh what do you value? Like, what, what are some things that are important to you? And he says, obviously, you know, maybe a place to, to host people. And I was like, no. <laughs> no. I was like, I, I actually don't enjoy doing that. <laughs> I'll be really honest. I'm sorry. You guys are judging me so hard right now. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just not, I, maybe I don't, I'm not very hospitable. Like, I, I think it's a lot of work. I'll go to your place. But, but I'm, I don't do a good job of hosting. And, and he was, he actually literally, he was laughing. I think he thought I was joking. And I was like, no, seriously, like, that's, that's not important to me. What else? Uh, you know? I, but I know that Chris and the Odell family, they have the gift of hospitality. Like, it is a gift. And, and that's why the Bible even talks about a gift of hospitality. I don't have it. And, and therefore, I am so glad that 
he and she, the families here. And for those of you with the gift of hospitality, I'm so glad that you're here because I don't have it. For those of you that have a gift of encouragement, I'm so glad that you're here. For those of you that have the gift of intercession, praying for one another, I'm so glad that you're here. For those of you that work in the background, that are good with food, that are good with whatever it is, coffee, greeting people, setting people up, music, I'm so glad that you're here. Because we are a body. And without you, something is missing. Just the other, or just last week, I'm going to embarrass her. Jen, who sets up downstairs, comes up to me and says, Prentice, I just want to say thank you. And I immediately I get real skeptical. Like, why? What? What happened? Huh? What did I do? No, just thank you. Thank you for, for how much you care. Thank you for your work. And just thank you. Man, I'm so glad I was there at that spot. I'm so glad she showed up because I was so encouraged that day. Some of us, we have a hard time believing this. But you were fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image of God. You are beautiful. You are exactly the way God wants you to be. And because of that, you have something to offer. And when you don't show up, this isn't a guilt trip, but when you don't show up, we're missing something. And as I invite the worship band back up, the last thing I want to talk about is we engage. We gather to engage. It says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. The question as we gather is not just hoorah, let's worship God, let's encourage one another, but what does that mean? How do we love? How do we change the world? How do we mobilize to make a difference in our society? How do we address issues of of racism, of injustice, of the poor, of how immigrants are being treated, of refugees being treated? How do we address that as a church? And how do we do something together? We're working on partnerships with Highland Park Elementary, with World Relief, who works with refugees, uh, with different local mission organizations, with Young Life, because as a church, we refuse to just be confined to this building and to say that we can offer something. Because Christ asks us to, calls us to. May this be a rhythm of our lives. It says, not neglecting to meet with one another, as is with the habit of some. I'll just end with this quote. Charles Duhigg, it's a popular book called The Power of Habit. He says, most of, a, most of the choices we make each day may feel like the products of well-considered decision-making, but they're not. They're habits. Choices that all of us deliberately make at some point and then stop thinking about it, but continue doing it often, every day. And though each habit means relatively little on its own, over time, the meals we order and what we say to our kids each night as we put them to bed, whether we have money or the way we spend it, how we exercise, how we organize our lives and our thoughts and our routines, it has enormous impact on our health, productivity, financial security, and happiness. That's what the quote says. And the key here is that our habits, both good habits and bad habits, possess an immense power to shape our lives. Make it a habit, a custom, 
is what Jesus calls it. Jesus says he, it was a custom for him to go to the synagogues. Custom is, comes from a Greek word, ethos. Ethics is a Greek word where we get value. What do we value? Jesus valued making that as a rhythm. And Aristotle says we are what we repeatedly do. We are the church and we gather to make a difference, to celebrate, to engage with what's happening in this world, to encourage one another, and to encounter the living and the resurrected God. The church comes from this word, ekklesia, it's a Greek word, it comes from two words, ek out of, kaleo, uh, called. Church, we are the called out ones. Be called out. Make a difference. Change the world. Be filled here in the rhythm of meeting. I'm gonna pray and we'll respond in a song. And maybe this is a time where we recognize that there's something here that is sacred that I wanna be a part of. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you've gathered us here called out ones to serve you, to serve others, to worship you, to know and to celebrate the resurrected Christ. And that's you because we know when that when we do that as a community, something mysterious, something sacred, something holy happens. Walls are broken down. Loneliness turns into joy. Depression turns into just happiness. Anxiety turns into peace. Anger turns into joy. Things happen when we come together. Walls break down. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.